This podcast is brought to you by Labyrinth Marketing, an award-winning strategic marketing and capability consultancy passionate about step change in the growth of brands and agencies by setting long-term strategy and supporting empowering the people behind the brands and business to bring these plans to life through capability programs, training, coaching, mentoring, and providing extra resource. Hello, and welcome to the Whole Marketer Podcast. episode and the next four episodes will all be around an area of personal understanding. They'll be around burnout. In true marketing style, ensuring that what we offer meets the wants and needs of our consumers, burnout was an episode that many of you have requested. This is not surprising in our challenging yet rewarding profession. As many of us start to enjoy the benefits of working in organizations that are either marketing orientated or are starting to see the benefits of being a marketing-led organization that allows marketing to lead that long-term commercial agenda, as comes the increased pressure, increased workload, increasing conversations to gain alignment, and the energy that we need to drive things forward. This is all within work, let alone in our lives as a whole, and the additional pressures that life brings. Many of us want this additional opportunity and responsibility, but this often comes coupled with internal pressures that we put on ourselves, increased workload, and without acknowledging the pressure that we are putting on ourselves and externally from others can result in true burnout if we don't look after our mental health. Burnout to me is not just a feeling of overwhelm. This is perhaps a start or a sign that burnout may happen if we are not careful. Burnout occurs when we've been doing too much for too long without adequate time to restore and recharge. Burnout often presents itself as mental and physical exhaustion, potentially the inability to get out of bed. It is our body saying no when we haven't said no for too long. It overrides those thoughts and feelings where we may have thought to ourselves that we need to slow down or maybe we have too much on our plate or maybe this situation is triggering our internal drivers that we are putting on ourselves or potentially something that is happening is clashing with our values and we've been ignoring them for too long. And the combination of those things can often result in burnout. This will be the first of four episodes which will focus on burnout. In this first episode, we will talk with a marketeer who has turned to be a burnout prevention and recovery coach. You may find that some of these episodes may be slightly longer than the average whole marketer episode, as we explore not only what it means to be burnt out, but how those that have suffered from it have dealt with their recovery and what they have learned since. So today's guest is Maggie Supernova. She's a former marketeer turned burnout prevention and recovery coach who specializes in yin yoga, meditation and mindfulness, which she utilizes as part of her coaching programs. After a seemingly successful in the live entertainment industry that took her from the West End to Broadway and beyond throughout her 20s and early 30s, Maggie hit burnout in a big way. During her recovery, she discovered a passion for supporting and helping others like herself, and as a result, left the marketing world behind. She now works with professionals, including many of those that work in marketing roles, to help them avoid making the same mistakes she did, helping them to identify what they can put in place to prevent burnout from happening and how to prioritize themselves and their needs to learn how to live alongside their work without burning out. Maggie, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. As you know, Maggie, we always start with a big juicy question. Ooh, yes. <laughs> and today's big juicy question is, what is burnout to you? 
Okay, I love this question because it seems so simple and straightforward and actually it's really pretty complicated. So I can give you my boilerplate definition. I think this is a good place to start. So burnout is an extreme state of physical, mental and emotional exhaustion that's caused by chronic and continuous stress and manifests as apathy, disconnection, cynicism, a loss of passion, a loss of drive, and ultimately leads to a lessened performance or a deeply unbalanced mindset. So that's my boilerplate. That's what I start with. It's a long, long, long sentence, but it sums it up. And I feel a little bit these days that burnout is becoming like a buzzword. And it's good in a way because I think it means that it's becoming more talked about. It's becoming something that people actually know about, which is good. But in another way that worries me quite a bit, because when things become buzzwords in this way, they can kind of become dismissible. Mm. You know, people say, oh, I'm just feeling really burned out right now. And then they have a weekend off and get some sleep and they're fine. But that is not burnout. That is just being tired. I feel like we have to be really clear on that distinction, that burnout is much more extreme than that. It's completely incapacitating when it properly strikes. It can't be slept off in a weekend. That's just not how it works. It's deep set and it's chronic and it actually takes years to heal from. And in those years, you need to do quite a bit of work. You know, it's not just about getting more sleep, although that does help. I wanted to share some of the symptoms of burnout. There really are so many. I have an article on my website that's just like a a long list of symptoms. But some big ones that I think will be relatable to people that I think are, are generally experienced. And it's that sense of feeling overwhelmed and stuck. So that feeling when you have so much to do that you don't even know where to start. And because of that, often that you just don't start. And so you're kind of stuck in that place. Feeling exhausted and not just tired, but bone deep tired. Physically, you might struggle to get out of bed. Mentally, your brain just kind of stops working. Doing really simple things like sending an email feels impossible. I had a client once who described it as, I think this is perfect, as feeling like an overfilled water balloon, just stretched so thin and so full of everything that the tiniest little thing can just scratch the surface and then everything just goes whoosh. You know, it's a flood of emotions everywhere. Just feeling like you are on the edge all at that time. And this one, this is a really key one, losing your sense of passion becoming apathetic about the things that you used to care about. I think so many people listen to this podcast because marketing and branding is their passion. They love it. You know, there was someone a few episodes ago, I forget the episode, sorry, I've listened to so many, but they were talking about drive and this passion that drives you, that gets you out of bed in the morning, that is the reason why you put in the hours and cope with the stress and the challenges. That passion, that drive, it's just gone. And you find yourself really sort of negative about your work, just being like, oh, I don't care. And that's really scary when you're one of those passionate, hardworking, perfectionist kind of people. And there's actually that resulting reality that you do end up not performing well. Things fall through the cracks. Your brain is just fuzzy and foggy and you forget how to do things. And that is so frustrating. There is another thing, this is important, that burnout is cyclical. 
So a lot of the time, what happens is someone will burn out and then they make some sort of change. They'll take a break, quit their job, or they'll get a new role. They'll end a relationship, they move cities or something. It's that sort of fresh start instinct, that approach. But the burnout is all still there. The stuff that got you to that point is all still there. And you might have changed the environment and maybe even tackled some external causes, like maybe getting away from a toxic boss or a a workplace culture that was causing you that stress, but you are still the same. And if you were a people pleaser before, you're still a people pleaser now. And so you're going to still take on too much, take it all too personally, struggle to set the boundaries and never say no. And then the burnout is going to come back. Unless we're like super balanced from the very start and amazing at managing stress and sticking to our structure and our boundaries. And apparently these people do exist. I'm yet to meet one, but apparently they're out there. But unless we're like that, we're likely to be somewhere in that burnout cycle. So we can be at risk of burning out in the future. This is the cycle. At risk of burning out in the future, we can be burning out right now when we're in it. We can be just burned out and trying to recover, or we can even be a little bit way along. We can be recovered and working on preventing that burnout from coming back for us in the future. So knowing where you are in that cycle is really key to knowing what to do next. Maggie, that is the longest response I've ever had to that question. However, (laughs) it's probably the most thorough response as opposed to just waffling, if that makes sense, to that question. So, you know, no worries there. I do have a tendency to go on tangents. I get excited. I'll try and stay on track. (laughs) No worries at all. And as you're talking, I'm making the assumption that you potentially have a people-pleaser driver within you. (laughs) Um, As you were talking about, you know, the people-pleasers and saying yes and taking things personally, I was just like, yep, yep, me, that's me, that's me as well. And I know I have a people-pleaser driver. You know, I've done the work on myself, having been coached before coming a coach. I talk about those transactional drivers in my book as well. So those that are thinking, what does somebody actually mean by people pleaser? There are multiple drivers that drive the way in which you approach certain situations in life and as a whole. And those are formed from our early experiences as children, usually before the age of eight. So yes, I definitely have the people pleaser driver. And we have spoken offline previously before today's podcast and What I found really useful was your definition there of burnout, because I think people do use it too frequently. What's been really fascinating on this process of looking for guests to come on for burnout month, which I've decided to do, and you are the first podcast of burnout (laughs) month, is really making sure that I am bringing on guests that have truly burned out, because I think people use that terminology too flippantly. And it's a bit like when people say, I'm really anxious. What they mean is I'm just a little bit overwhelmed today, as opposed to being truly anxious, where all of those physical symptoms are at play around loss of appetite or feeling sick or sweating or, you know, I could go on. The difference between feeling anxious and having anxiety, exactly. I really like that. The feeling anxious versus actually having anxiety, whether that's high functioning or general anxiety Mm -hmm. disorder, you know, whatever that may be for you. So I did think slightly differently for this podcast as opposed to mapping the topic, which was requested by the way, Maggie. So I had 
email saying, Abby, it'd be really useful if you could cover burnout as one of your topics, because I think I'm burning out, but I'm not sure. You know, the marketing profession, as I always say, is challenging yet rewarding, but it's making sure that we are getting that balance between challenge and reward with the pressure of leading that commercial agenda and juggling the day-to-day, fighting those fires to make sure those products and services come to market to satisfy those consumers and customers' needs, but also Mm -hmm. the effort that it takes with getting people bought in and on the journey and the psychology and the emotional energy that we have to have with those relationships, particularly if we're people pleasing you know particularly if we're getting feedback that we take to heart and we take so personally but as I was going through the process it was really important that I was truly bringing people on the guest that had burnt out and to your Mm -hmm. point that definition of burnout which is not something that you just recover over a weekend something where in my case because I have burned out you're in bed for one to two weeks you don't have any energy to summon up to do anything work or life related because you have been doing too much for too long. I don't want to dismiss people's experiences here as well. I think that's really important, is that just because you aren't at that point, just because you haven't hit the wall, you're not collapsed, you're not unable to get out of bed for two weeks, Like that doesn't mean that burnout isn't ahead for you. I think that's really, really important because a lot of people that I speak to, they are dismissive of their own experiences. You know, we fall into this trap of comparisons and we go oh well my experience wasn't that bad so therefore you know I'm just complaining about nothing and we dismiss our own experiences there and so I don't want to add to that but what I want to say here is like if you really are feeling burned out then that is entirely valid it's why you're here listening and hopefully it's why the content of what we talk about here is going to be helpful to you because you might not be at that point where, you know, you are completely paralyzed by it. But that doesn't mean it's not coming up in the future. These signs, these feeling exhausted, these crashing out for the weekend, you know, this sense of impending burnout, it might mean that something like that is coming. So if you're experiencing those signs, then hopefully some of the stuff we talk about today about getting ahead of that is going to be helpful. It's important to have that differentiation, but I think what was more useful was what you said about the cycle. And Mm, to those that have experienced burnout or think they're on the way to burning out so that they can put some preventative measures in place or that they're still learning about how to live with life post-burnout, all of those things are true. And so, you know, we are sharing our own personal experiences with Maggie as the expert having trained to be a burnout coach and prevention coach in order to ensure that you don't get there. So if you do think it's coming, what you can do to pull back. On that note, Maggie, yourself, you've also experienced true burnout and Mm -hmm. it's what drove you to become a burnout coach. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience and how on that journey you actually decided to then become a burnout coach? Yeah. So this is actually something I had to revisit recently for my own podcast, which is called Your Supernova Moment, by the way, little plug for myself there. But I, I did an episode called My Supernova Moment, which was essentially my burnout story. And it was really hard to go back to. It was quite triggering, if I'm honest, but I'm really glad that I did it because it helped me to sort of see how far I'd come in the well, just over two years since it happened for me. And that episode was like half an hour long (laughs) with a lot of tangents, but I will summarize it a little better here. So my burnout story, to go sort of all the way back to the beginning, just briefly, 
because I think this is important, especially something that you said as well about people pleasing and those sort of before we're eight years old, those patterns that are in place. So I was a kid who had chronic crippling anxiety rooted in deep fear, but I had no idea of that at the time when I was a kid. In fact, I had no idea that I had generalized anxiety disorder or any of that until I burned out. So until I was in my 30s. And by burned out, that time I'm talking about the big burnout. There's many others. But that's the background. I was this kid who was super uncomfortable in her own skin, who lived in her head and dreamed up the kind of person that she thought she needed to be in order to be enough. And that person was this sort of badass businesswoman type with great haircut and great shoes and stonking salary and multiple mobile phones who was just really busy and important. I don't know where I got all of this from, but that was kind of the ideal. I was like, if I could be that, then it will be enough. And we talked about this before when we were chatting ahead of this recording, but I never set out with a goal of working in marketing. And I know that's where I'm going to differ a lot of people listening to this podcast. I didn't have that as a specific goal. I just kind of followed the things that I was good at because I was afraid of failing. So I didn't try things that didn't come naturally to me. And that's how I actually ended up getting my first marketing job. Because before that, I'd been working in theatre and live entertainment. I'd been dangerously close to failing as a performer. So I cut my losses there. Didn't even try that. I was really good at networking. I networked my way into a junior exec job at a marketing agency in London. And then I was really good at it. So I worked my way up. And over the next 12 years, I was flying up that career ladder in the live entertainment marketing industry. And I loved it. But in that time, I burned out quite a few times. So every time it happened, I just sort of shook it off and changed something and carried on. It was never the big burnout. You know, it was it was that cycle. Move house, switch jobs, get a promotion, drop a project, move on to something else, you know, fresh start, change something up. And this carried on until I was in an international marketing director role on a major entertainment brand, traveling all over the world, sleeping on planes more than I was sleeping in a bed, taking on way too much responsibility, being way too personally invested in my work, having just no boundaries, no life outside of work. And I was like this for a really long time. I became this sort of frazzled, hectic shell of a human. I wasn't very nice in that time. I had no patience. I was just at the end of my tether all the time. And I was like that overfilled water balloon. And when I burned out, I kept pushing onwards. I was miserable. I was struggling to hold myself together for a really long time. It was probably about five months after the point that I identify as me sort of entering into that proper burnout phase that I hit the wall and just fell to pieces. So that was the sort of the bedridden time. I quit my job in that window of time. I was sort of fooling myself that I was going to leave and go somewhere else and be refreshed and fabulous again, like I had every time up until that point. But the burnout, it kept going and it became a full on nervous breakdown in the end. You know, I broke down at work. I was sent to a doctor and I never went back to work after that. And Maybe I would have in some kind of capacity at some point after a lot of healing, but 
then COVID came along. And so that kind of changed everything. And my coaching business sort of took off while I was still in recovery. I'd found coaching really helpful myself. I'd got really deep into yoga, yin yoga, particularly I'd done my qualifications so I could teach that. And also so I could know more about it to help myself. In the same vein, I trained in guiding meditation. I started writing meditations based on the practices that helped me. It all happened quite organically. But, you know, that's to say, it's not all been smooth sailing. I've had to work hard to find the balance and not fall back into bad habits. It's not kind of like, I'm not working marketing anymore, so everything's fine. You know, when you're working for yourself and working from home, the the lines blur in different ways. But ultimately, I'm here and I'm happy. I'm helping people avoid making the same mistakes that I did. And I'm still using my marketing skills, um, but the product is very different. So that's kind of a short version of the story of how it happened to me and how I've kind of ended up veering into this new direction that actually is a much more natural fit for me than anything I was doing before ever was. I think finding that natural fit and something that you are passionate about and that feels that you are helping others, I think always elevates you to a place where happiness and fulfillment comes, you know, speaking personally than just working on the here and now. And I think identifying that for you, that that is fundamental to the work you do to bring fulfillment is key. I think what you said is absolutely right. But I also think that it puts us in danger of pushing that bit too hard. Because when we're passionate about it, it's important to us. And I was so passionate about the work I was doing for all the wrong reasons, but I was super passionate about it. And that's what made me think, I've got to push just that little bit more. It's more important than me, you know? And I think that is something that perhaps people might relate to, you know, whether your passion is marketing, whether your passion is something else it's so easy to push yourself too hard or too far when you're chasing your passion. And so that's been a lesson I've learned and one that now I'm I'm definitely embodying through my work and through my business now. And I think for me, it becomes almost like self-fulfilling in the sense that when you are passionate, you deliver. Mm -hmm. When you deliver, you get praise. So you become more passionate to deliver more, (laughs) to get more praise. And what's really important is that you define the difference between external praise and needing that validation and therefore the level in which you are working versus defining your own level of success and knowing when that's enough. And that's been a really important lesson for me, which leads me on to my next question, which is, you know, you supported many people, Maggie, in their burnout recovery. What are those common themes that you see? You know, we've spoken about people pleasing. We've spoken about just now around getting that praise and reward for the work that we're doing. What are those things that keep coming up as common themes in the work that you do with your clients? Okay, well, everyone's experience is different. Everyone is unique. Like, no one story is exactly the same. But as you say, there are some things that come up a lot. You know, those personality types that we talked about, they're especially prone to burnout. People pleasers, the fact that that you're a people pleaser makes you predetermined to perhaps be on that path. The same with overachievers, type A personalities. And we're proud of it, aren't we? When we are that person, we want to be the type A personality because we think that those people are the ones that get it done, you know, those all or nothing types. And so I think the whole thing of not valuing yourself 
and your well-being enough to understand that taking breaks or doing things for yourself are important and are as important as the work that you're doing or the role that you're fulfilling in some way. You know, what you were just saying about that cycle of people pleasing and then getting the external validation and then wanting to please more, you know, that cycle can kind of be okay got to keep tabs on it, but it can kind of be okay if there's an extra step in it. If after the external validation, there's also a period of restoration. And that is what we miss because we go straight to the next thing. And when we're on a path to burnout, and actually not even that, when we're just in our world now, our sort of modern day life, we're just constantly going from stressor to stressor to stressor to stressor. It doesn't even have to be one work thing to another work thing. You know, it's notifications on our Phones, it's people getting hold of us, it's bad news. We're just bouncing from one stressful thing to another, and that keeps us in this state of what it's like fight or flight mode. It keeps us heightened alert in that state of heightened alert, exactly. And it's we're not designed to stay there the whole time. That in itself is a cycle, the stress cycle is designed to complete, and if it doesn't, then we end up on a path to burnout. And so, you know, going through that stressful experience is is fine. You know, it's good for you if you get to the end of the cycle and then you switch to a state of rest and digest for a while. And we don't do that anymore just because of the way that our world is designed, our culture dictates that we just stay in that state of heightened alert. So we actually kind of have to hack that system and do it ourselves. And that's the thing that people don't do. And that's something that everybody that I work with is is probably the same and it's just being a victim of the system that way so along with that the lack of boundaries is a big one but going a little bit deeper than that as well it's also the reasoning behind that lack of boundaries this constant need to justify themselves and justify it to themselves and to others that they can handle it, that they can do everything, that they're available all the time. It's like, why? Why do we feel this need? I was one of those people. I'm not one of these people anymore. And I'm much happier now. (laughs) And a lot of the time people have been worn down by bad experiences over the years. They've lost their confidence in themselves and that just makes them view everything they do as not being good enough and needing to be better. And that in turn is stressful. And then that stress can become chronic and that chronic stress can become burnout. You know, we hold on to these residual experiences, this residual trauma, it it lives in our bodies. We don't let go. And so I think that people can underestimate the sort of slow buildup of experiences over the years and the impact that can have on us and why our resilience is lower and why things hit us harder than perhaps they might have done before. There's a lack of relationship with yourself. This is a thing that comes up a lot. A lack of identity beyond the role that you play and the work Mm. that you do. You know, that question of who are you away from your LinkedIn profile, like even away from your role as a a parent, a partner, a son, a daughter, like who are you? What makes Mm. you smile? What makes you cry? You know, we don't prioritize that. We forget about that. We push it aside because it's a distraction from the work. And that for me, you know, who are you is the first step in developing your personal understanding. You know, it's the first part in unit three of my book, really taking the time to define who you are what you bring to the world. And I have this quote that sits on my desk and I'll just read it. And it says, by being yourself, you put something wonderful in the world that was not there before. 
And it's really important that we know what that something wonderful is that we put there and we live and accept that. I always say the beauty of the world is that we all bring something different and collectively together we can create magical things, make great things happen. I think it's that accepting that you're not going to be great at everything, but really accepting the things that you are good at and what it means to be you and what you bring to the world. I think one of the key pillars of building that self-confidence and personal understanding. And, you know, the things that you are, everything you are, it doesn't have to be exceptional. It doesn't all have to be mind-blowingly amazing it doesn't all have to be the best it doesn't have to be perfect and that is a hard lesson to learn Mm. but actually there's this complete lack of self-compassion sometimes people I work with they can sometimes be in these ridiculously caring and compassionate roles you know they will literally be caring for others like that is their thing it's what they do but there's a disconnect they don't show that same kind of compassion to themselves and I think that is yeah, radical self-compassion was a real eye-opener for me. It felt incredibly uncomfortable when I first learned about it, when I first sort of tried to apply it to my situation. But it's opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, as a people pleaser, as a perfectionist, as an overachiever, as a person with anxiety who believed that they weren't enough as they were, actually just accepting that you are enough, just as you are, You don't need to achieve things. You don't have to be the best at things. You know, you can do all of that stuff and you can celebrate yourself when you do, but you don't have to achieve something to actually be valid and to actually be worth anything. And that's something that I don't think we sort of naturally understand. (laughs) I think it's a lesson that we need to learn in some kind of way. It's a lesson that takes time to learn, something I'm really still learning and still practicing, but it does make a huge difference. And one more thing on this, the things that, that come up a lot. A lot of the time, people know exactly what it is that they need to do to recover. They're just not doing it. <laughs> and they're beating themselves up for not doing it as well, which is making it worse. So actually, a lot of the time, the thing that the people need more than anything is support. It's someone who is there to remind them to be compassionate to themselves when it doesn't come naturally, because it doesn't. Someone who's there to point out when they're beating themselves up and question if that's how they really feel or if it's the inner critic talking, if it's reflecting someone else's opinion back at you, making assumptions about what other people think, if it's comparing you to something. And instead, it's that support of being able to focus them on the things that they have done which are awesome, instead of their natural instinct to focus on the things that they haven't done or things that they've failed at. And that's been the part that's so rewarding for me is sort of being able to hold up that mirror and just be there. And it doesn't have to be a coach. Like, you know, that's not something that's available to everybody. You know, it can be a supportive partner. It can be support at work. It can be support from a doctor or a therapist it's not going to look the same as it does with a coach because, you know, they are fully focused on you. There's got to be a bit of give and take in a, in an actual relationship where you're not paying money for the support to be, you know, readily available. But I think that's a big 
difference that makes a big change is having the support system because this stuff is really hard to do on your own and I always say ask for help you know whatever that help may look like for you it doesn't always have to be professional help in the form of a coach a mentor an accountability buddy it can just be someone in your circle that you feel safe that you can open up and be vulnerable with to allow you to really identify even just talking out loud sometimes allows you to see the patterns in your behavior yeah or just writing it down you know journaling I think is a real I know it feels kind of awkward and unnatural to some people but I find it really helpful to just write everything down and then I can see it instead of it being in my head where I can't see it I did it the other day I felt the feeling of overwhelm which Mm -hmm. is as you said a sign that you are starting to feel like you may burn out so I got a piece of paper and I filled actually two sides of my notebook of all the things that were in my head and at least allow me to get it out you know it's a CBT method to be able to say when it comes up against your brain I've got that I've captured it yeah your fear is that you're going to forget it and that's why it plays on your mind whereas if you've written it down you know that there's a record of that and you're not going to forget it because it's there yeah and you can also tell your brain when it comes up again thank you I've already written that down I've captured it so it's allowing you to have that narrative with your brain of not to feel fearful that you're going to forget something because you've captured it but also Mm -hmm. to be able to acknowledge what is going on in your head and what things you want to address and what things you can't address and what things you need to think about addressing in a different way so that you can lessen that feeling of overwhelm. So Maggie I think there's probably a lot of people that have been listening to you describe the true definition of burnout, describe that cyclical behavior, the common themes that you see or traits in people that are more prone to burnout for those that are listening going I think that might be me but Mm -hmm. I don't want to burn out what advice would you give them to be able to take stock and prevent that burnout from happening well this totally depends where you are in the burnout cycle to be honest I think I'll I'll start with recovery because I think Actually, I think um, it's it's easier <laughs> than prevention because you're kind of you don't really have the option of ignoring it. So if you're right in burnout, I call it being the frog in the pot. You know um, that fable where if you put a frog in hot water, it jumps right out. But if you put a frog in cold water and slowly heat it up, it regulates its body temperature again and again until it can't anymore, and then it can't move, and then it boils alive gross, but that is burnout. So if you are the frog in the pot, if you're at that point, then the first thing you need to do is get out of the pot. And this might look like taking some time off sick. It might look like, which is the thing no one wants to do. It might look like booking some annual leave. So it's not so obvious that's what you're doing. It might look like going to HR. It might look like going to your manager or even straight to a doctor. It might simply look like taking a weekend to do nothing but consciously step back from everything and catch your breath. The first thing that we need to do is find some sort of effective nervous system reset. The thing that really works well for me, it works well for lots of people, is simple deep breathing exercises. So when we're burned out, we've been stuck in that state of chronic stress for a really long time. You know, we've been stuck in that fight or flight mode, moving from stressor to stressor to stressor, stuck in high alert, as you said. I had a colleague years ago, um, and we used to joke about we'd have a day and we'd get to the end of our day and our hands were fists. We'd get to the end of a really stressful day and we were so tense that our hands would just be fists and without realizing it. And we just couldn't relax. We couldn't let that go. And that that's that chronic stress thing. 
what we need to do is release the fists. And it's not going to happen naturally. You know, you're not just going to get to the end of the day and that's just going to release. We're going to carry it with us. It's going to stay in our bodies. And so we need to kind of help it along. And we can do that with deep breathing exercises or meditation. Yoga Nidra is really good for that kind of deep relaxation. And that sounds really simple, I know. And it's, you know, I'm not just saying sort of just breathe your way through it, but it's an important part of the process. So that's if you're in the pot. You need to step out of it. You need to take a minute. Maybe it's a minute. Maybe it's a month. Maybe it's three months. Who knows? It's going to be different for everybody. But take as much time as you can. That's my advice, to take as much time as you can to rest and step back and breathe and just try and get to a point where you can think straight enough to do what needs to happen next. So that's if you're in the pot, but if you're on the path towards burnout, so you might be listening, thinking, you know, you're, you're really heading there. There's no turning back now. You know, it's too little, too late. It's, it's actually about stepping off that path. You don't have to go forward or back. Just step off it for a moment and take that breath. I was actually speaking to someone just this morning on a consult who I know was really hoping that I'd say to her that she could fix what was going on without taking a single day off work. Everybody's circumstances are different, but even if that break that you take just looks like an afternoon stepping off that path or one call with a coach, the calls I do, consultations, they're 30 minutes long, they're free. Sometimes that is all that people need, you know, just to have a chat with someone who understands, who can give them the tools. It might be a session with a therapist, it might be a doctor's appointment or something like that. Even if that break is just a couple of hours, it's valuable. Because when I say take this break, that break isn't to catch up on sleep or do a yoga class. I mean, you can if you like, but it's to actually step back a bit so you can see more of the picture. You might not be able to see the whole picture in just a few hours, but step back so you can see what's going on. Get a bit of headspace and talking to someone can really do that and can really be helpful with that. But also, just like we were saying, getting a pen and paper, writing everything down, it's easier to see the picture that way. When things are in our heads, they feel so much bigger and more complicated than they often are. I mean, sometimes they are big and complicated, but they can be clearer when you have that written down. And then you can look at where you need to bring things in, like basic needs, getting better sleep, having an evening wind down routine, putting breathing exercises regularly in through your day, eating regular meals, doing gentle exercise, not high intensity stuff because that is just making you more stressed but gentle stuff that you can release some of that stress a little bit to encourage that rest and digest quality and also so you can set some boundaries to protect your time so that you can do that stuff and then imagine someone that you love is struggling in this way and you want to be kind to them and support them and show them compassion And then turn that on yourself because it's so much easier to think about this as somebody else. It's so much more helpful because we find it so unnatural and so hard to to show that self-compassion, but it's so much easier for us to think about it as somebody else. Burnout recovery takes a really long time. It can take years. Let's be honest about that. But it is generally a steady trajectory of 
recovery and improvement. It'll have those ups and downs, but in my experience, it does generally get easier over time. In six months, you might not feel as good and balanced as capable as you might do in two years or 18 months, but you'll feel a hell of a lot better than you did at three months. It's slow and steady. This place that you are now, it's absolutely not the place that you're going to be for years. It's just going to be slow and steady and you have to be mindful of that progress. Taking that step off the wheel to be able to take a step back and go, what is it I'm feeling? What is it that's bothering me? What can I put in place to make sure that I can have some rest and reflection, that I can make sure that I put some time in for me as I treat myself as I would others? I think what's really key there is the action and also continuing to do it to break the habit. Because as you were mentioning some of those things, I was thinking, I used to do yoga nidra. (laughs) You know, I used to do yoga nidra every Sunday, set me up nicely for the week. Funnily enough, I don't do that anymore. So it's really about, yes, identifying what you know could help you de-stress and settle and restore. But I think it's also about ensuring that that remains a priority for you and that you continue to do that of course lockdown came in the way and was probably the thing that that stops me from doing it so frequently but there's absolutely no reason why I'm not doing that now so it's about having that level of commitment I think as well I think that's exactly right and I think you know we talk about this in terms of meditation yoga yoga nidra all of journaling all of the stuff all of the good mindfulness practices they are preventative as, as well as healing. And so that long-term commitment to making it a part of your life, that's how, you know, life after burnout is essentially a lifetime of preventing burnout. It's not something that you get over and then you stop. It's a lifestyle shift and something that has to be, yes, committed to, but it needs to just become a part of your life. So I'm going to give you my burnout recovery formula, if you like. This is, this is the secret sauce. But honestly, it's, it's not rocket science. But this is the way that, in my experience, that it works. And it's quite a list, but you don't have to do all of this at once. So you've got to get on top of your basic human needs, which is the thing that we let slip we don't get enough sleep. We don't eat properly. We drink too much. We rely on those, you know, emotional crutches. And getting on top of your basic human needs and actually thinking about it like if you had a house plant that was dying, you'd be like, right, okay, I need to make sure it's getting enough light. I need to make sure I'm giving it enough water. I need to maybe feed it. You know, I need to check the temperature. It's just like those basic things. So you start by getting on top of that resetting your nervous system. That's what we talked about, those kind of continuous nervous system resets. You don't just do the breathing exercises until you feel better. You do the breathing exercises until you feel better and then you keep doing the breathing exercises. Maybe they look a little bit different. Maybe they're, you know, once a day instead of three times a day, but that becomes a part of your life and you'll find yourself this happens to me all the time. Sometimes I just sit in the garden and I'm just doing a breathing exercise. I'm not even realizing it because it's just a sort of regulation of my nervous system now that has become a part of my life. The next step is that all-important self-compassion. So learning and getting your head around and practicing kindness and self-compassion. It feels so weird and unnatural when you haven't done it your whole life, you know, but practicing it and keeping practicing it that's how it becomes a habit that's how you make progress while doing that 
It's about establishing a structure so that you can do these things, so you can make the time for breathing, so that you can build the healthy habits and actually make them a part of your life, prioritize them. Then getting a bit deeper than that, and this is, as I say, this stuff happens over time. I work with people across a minimum of 12 weeks and we sort of tackle these things as we go along. But connecting with your identity and your values, figuring out what is actually important to you, what matters to you, that whole who are you beneath what you do, that's a really important part of it. And then identifying and addressing the root causes of your burnout because a lot of the time we just deal with the symptom on the surface. And actually the root causes might be something to do with the structural issue at work, management issues, not having the right support, not having the right resources. It might be something going on within yourself. If it's, you know, for me, one of the root causes was my anxiety and that people pleasing and those personality traits. So identifying and addressing those root causes instead of just focusing on the surface symptom. There's only three more of these points left, I promise. Everyone's listening going, oh my God, this really is going to take a couple of years. But this is why it takes the time. So the next one is a tricky one. This is processing and or growing or moving beyond trauma. This is recognizing that, and I think it's a really valid point that you mentioned the last couple of years in COVID and how that kind of a lot of people maybe fell off the wagon of, of wellness in that time because we've collectively been through this trauma of the past couple of years. And if you add on top of that, your own personal stuff, everyone's got their own personal stuff going on. This stuff stays with us. It sits with us unless we actively release it. And processing or, or moving beyond that trauma, it doesn't mean that we have to necessarily go back to it unpick it, relive it. We don't necessarily have to do that. It might help. For some people, it might help. I love unpicking my trauma in therapy. Seriously. It's one of my favorite things to do. It gives me a good cathartic cry, but that doesn't work for everybody. But just ignoring it and pretending it's not there isn't going to work either. It's about finding a way to move forward that is respectful, that is that recognizes what you've been through. That kind of allows you to bring that self-compassion in a little bit more. So with all of those factors, one of the big things is mindfulness. Practicing mindfulness regularly in some way. It might look like meditation or yin yoga, or it might look like journaling. It might look like that, you know, mindful coloring or whatever the exercises are that you want to do. Everyone's got their different version of mindfulness that works for them. I just love everyday mindfulness of kind of making that time to connect with the present, to be here in the now. And it's fine to keep striving for things. It's fine to keep working towards goals and having those goals and working towards them. That's all fine. But also you've got to make time for where you are right now so that you can just practice being content and practice being in the moment so that when you do achieve those goals, when you do get to the end of the tunnel, when you do get through that next project, instead of moving straight onto the next one, you have the skill, you have the ability to just sit in that moment a little bit. And that is where mindfulness practice can come in really helpful. And the final thing that builds exactly on what you were just saying before I went into this really long list is committing to the embodiment of that change. So it's not about learning the lessons, doing it for a bit, and then stopping. It's, it's learning the lessons and continue to embody the lessons. Keep the practices going. 
And this is how an individual makes that big change. This is the, the supernova moment formula where, you know, everything that up until that point, you have your burnout, everything blows up and it all goes to but you get to sort of start again. This kind of new star is born and you get to kind of reconnect with yourself. And this doesn't necessarily help to combat the bigger cultural problem, but I'm really coming at this from a place of helping the individual because systemic change is needed. It's a long game. There are some really brilliant people out there doing some really brilliant work and hopefully there'll be people, you know, talking about that stuff through the burnout series as well. But as individuals, we're experiencing burnout here. We can't just sit back and wait for that systemic change to save us. We kind of have to be a little bit selfish here and take care of ourselves as well now so that we can be a part of and contribute to that long-term change in the future. So you've talked a lot about people recovering from burnout, but what about preventing it? Okay, so for preventing burnout, firstly, it's boundaries. Boundaries are your best friend. Make sure you have them with work, with your phone, with your family and friends, and with yourself. Your inner critic, that voice in your head that's pretending it's you, you need to set some boundaries with them too. And start working on building this relationship with yourself. If you want to prevent burnout, start giving a shit about yourself. If you see a stranger on the street, you're going to be less invested in their well-being than you are going to be a friend or a loved one. So learn how to befriend yourself. Learn about yourself. Practice accepting everything you learn, the good and the bad. Make time for the things that you want to do as well as the things that you need to do. That's my advice for preventing this becoming a problem in the first place. Well, Maggie, thank you so much. And it doesn't feel fair to ask you for yet another piece of advice, having given so many, but we stick with the format of the podcast. We always close with the following question. What one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow? Your work is not as important as you think it is. Is that ter- That might be terrible advice, <laughs> but I think this is really, really key. You love marketing. You love the trends, you love the strategy, you love the branding, you love the stats and the numbers, audience development. Keep loving your work, absolutely. But don't let your work be your whole life. It can't be your whole life. Find out who you are away from your work, develop a relationship with yourself, learn to listen to your body and to your heart and to your soul, learn to listen to your thoughts with caution, start noticing your inner critic and when they're telling you that you're shit, start challenging them. Make time for life as well as work and make time for you because your work is awesome and it's a part of you, but it's not all of you. That's a great piece of advice. Thank you so much for your time today, Maggie. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Whole Marketeer podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please do click follow below for more weekly podcasts. The Whole Marketer book is now available in all good bookstores and to find out more about how labyrinth can support and step change the growth of your brand or agency go to www.labyrinthmarketing.co.uk